Uh, no, we are in a, a series that we've called What Matters Most. And you know what we're talking about? What matters most, right? What are the things that are the most important to us? And so we're gonna, we talked about our mission statement last week. And I hope that if you were here or if you watched that online, that that, that made, made sense and it kind of was something you could you'd track with because sometimes, you know, mission statements you know, aren't you know, always that, like, that grabbing or whatever, but, but ours, is, ours is good. And so this is what we said. This is what we, uh, we went through last week. And so let's say it all together, all right? Here we go. Out of a growing love for God. I can't hear you, so we got to start again, okay? This is our mission statement, people. This is what matters most. Out of a growing love for God and compassion for others, our mission is to be and to make followers of Jesus. All right, so you can read and you can speak. So now what if we put it away? Can you say it? Okay. Oh, thank you, Christina. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Out of a... The Jesus, yes. Wow, that was, that was a little rough. We're going we're gonna to have to do this all the time. So out of a love for God and compassion for others, our mission is to be and make followers of Jesus. All right. So sounds good, right? Sounds good. Thumbs up. Uh, but what if, this is part of our underlying issues of, of this whole series, what if something sounds good but we don't actually live it. And I said last week, these aren't things that I, I really care to just print or post or preach on. If it isn't something that we live, then it, it doesn't really matter. And we say this is what matters. So we went through that last week. The next six weeks, we are going to be talking about our, our core values. This is what we truly care about. And, and our core values are things that, that guide us in accomplishing our mission. And we could define them like this. These are the passionate and consistent biblical core beliefs that drive us, that drive our church. They are our foundation. They guide our behavior. They guide our decision-making. They define who we seek to be. And that is a we. That is a me and that is a you if you say this is your church. This is the people that you are aligning yourself to. So... When we have values, there also comes with that expectations. This is something that uh, Tanya and I, when we go through premarital with couples, we, we stress a lot about values and expectations. You see this in, in your lives. You see this as some, if a couple comes together and one says, I really value this. This is what's really important to me. This has always been something that's important to me. This is what I've been raised at my family. This is important to me. And then you join them with another person, and they have different values. And if you don't share those, if you don't communicate those, then it's, it's hard. All of a sudden, something's going to come up. So example, someone, you know, one says, I really value a tidy home, like a clean, clean home, spick and span, right? Really value that. But the other person doesn't value that. That's going to cause a little bit of problem, Right? So when you share a value, then there is an expectation 
that comes along with that, right? I shared this value, it's really important to me. The other person should say, oh, okay, I get it that that's important to you and I will you know, help in that. But sometimes they don't share that value. Another thing would be money, right? Ooh, ooh, big one, right? In a marriage relationship, one says, I really value saving money. I wanna pay off our debt. I want to own our home, I wanna do whatever. I value saving money. The other person says, well, I value spending money. (laughs) This could be a problem. We share our values, and then there is an expectation as well. So as we walk through these values of what we've said as a church, this is what we are about, what's most important to us, you should be asking yourselves, is this a value that I personally can embrace? And secondly, You should say, I I should expect to see this value being lived out among us as a church, right? That should be your expectation if we say this is our value, what's most important. Because values expressed create expectations. So if we simply say we value something but we don't live it, then is it really a value? So here's some examples of unlived values. I don't know if unlived is a word, but it seemed fitting I, I used it. So this, you say that you value physical fitness, but when you look at your past week or past month, you know, you've, or life um, even, you never work out, (laughs) Um, you haven't been flexing, you don't even walk to get your mail, you know, is it really a value? Or you say that you value a good diet. But again, you look back at the last week or two or month and you you see that your diet has consisted of fast foods, salty snacks, alcohol every day or soft drinks. Is it a real value? You say that you value family, but really you only call your mom or your dad on special days. You say that you value financial wisdom but somehow Amazon just keeps sending you fun packages every day. A little aside here, but Tanya and I, we have, we have imaginary Amazon friends. They're really great, Kyle and Jill. It's their names. So when, a, when the doorbell rings and there's a look and he's, oh, there's an Amazon guy, and it was like, okay, who, who ordered something? You know, if it was a package for me, I'd say, yeah, you know, Kyle, he just sent me that. And if it was for Tanya, she'd say, yeah, Jill thought I'd really like this. It's just kind of our way. There is no real people. Well, there probably is Kyle and Jill at Amazon, but it just helps us, you know, to feel better about ourselves when when we get those packages that maybe the other person didn't know about. But if that happens, if that's a consistent thing and you look at, oh man, all of a sudden we're ordering all this stuff and, and, you know, is financial wisdom... Uh, something that is a real value. Okay, going to get a little bit uh, deeper here now. You say that you value church. You say that you value meeting with God's people, worshiping the Lord together. But you seldom attend, and you rarely give, you rarely serve. That may not be you. But this is something that you say, oh, this is really important to me. But when you look at your calendar and your schedule and the reality of it, 
Is this something that you value? Poke a little deeper. You say that you value prayer. You say that you value dependence on God. But realistically, you only call on God when you're in a real big crisis or sometimes before a meal or before you go to sleep. Now listen, I know that can poke and stir a little bit, and I hope this does a bit, but the idea is this. It's not to put on guilt, okay? But the idea is to say, what are your values? What are your expressed values? And do they line up with your lived values? Because if you don't live it, is it really a value? And this is the same for us as a church. If this is what we say, this should be something that we live. So as we go through these in the next six weeks, We're going to walk through these core values we've identified. We say this is what matters the most. And we invite you to join us in embracing and living these values. So the last one that I mentioned there uh, is one we're going to talk about today in a way. Uh, One of our core values is prayerful dependence. Prayerful dependence. We say we depend on God. We put our trust and our confidence in him. And in unpacking this value of prayerful dependence this morning, three things we're going to look at and realizing that we could spend a lot of time on these, we'll just kind of scratch the surface of it, but this is three things we're going to look at. First of all, why we can depend on God alone. Secondly, why we do not pray or pray more. And third, kind of a prayer 101, how do we pray and how do we express our dependency on God? All right. So first of all, why we can depend on God alone. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Psalm 62, and I believe it's also will be on the screen. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you will reward everyone according to what they have done. And this psalm gives some specific reasons, if you kind of dig around in there a little bit and see it, that why we can depend on God. But listen, it's not suggested that 
dependence on God is just one option among many. The psalmist declares clearly and absolutely that God alone is the one who we depend on or trust. There is a a small Hebrew word that is used frequently in this psalm. And it's just a short word. It's two letters. It's A-K. All right? And it kind of sounds, it's it's like, ach. Okay, can you say that? Ach. There you go. You learned some Hebrew today. Um, But it kind of sounds like an old German or Mennonite man who's frustrated with technology. (laughs) All right? Ach. Ach. Ah, but it doesn't really have a feeling of, of frustration, isn't the tone of the word. But the word means this. It means alone or only or truly. Okay, Alone or only or truly. And so what there is is a limiting factor to the word. So it's basically saying this and nothing else. That's, that's really the picture of the word, this and nothing else. This is the, the one thing that is, is truly it. This is the one thing that alone is this. And this is what the, the psalmist uses throughout this psalm. For example, of, it's also used in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 732, where it says that everything on the earth, this is the time of Noah, where people were rebellious, disobedient against God, and there was the, the flood. And it says that everything, every living thing on the earth was wiped out. Only Noah and his family were spared. That's that word, ach. Okay. Not, not everyone. This. Only them. So when we were in Vegas a couple weeks ago, and if you've ever been to Vegas, uh, there is obviously casinos everywhere, and you have to kind of walk through casinos to sort of get to different places. Um, I mean, I guess you don't have to, but if you wanted to go to some places. We are, we're not gamblers. We didn't uh, spend any money on, on gambling. But uh, I will say this. Um, my wife is a curious person. And so as we were walking through, and, you know, she would stop, and she would stop at some, you know, table of blackjack or craps or whatever game it is, I don't know. I had no interest in it at all, so I was usually checking sports scores or watching, you know, the World Junior Tournament on my phone trying to get Wi-Fi from this hotel for free. Cheap guy, didn't have a data package. Anyways, but she goes up to the tables, and she just kind of creeps up there and stands and starts watching. And, and sidles up, you know, to, to somebody that's, that's got all their chips and all their money. And, and, and in the middle of whatever he's doing, she says, so why did you do that? What, what does that mean? And she just, like, she's so cute, right? I mean, it just, like, they're not going to. And so they would start to kind of explain and everything. And then they, you know, put all this money on and then, and then roll. And then, of course, you lose because it's gambling. And then they'd be like, oh. And then she says, so did you lose? Like a lot of money? I don't know. But she would just kind of have this curiosity. In any event, I didn't, we didn't uh, spend any money or lose any money on gambling. But as you, you're watching people and you see the idea of this picture of, ah, of alone, it's kind of like taking all your chips, right? all, your, all you got, and putting it on one number or one color. You don't hedge your bets. You don't put a little bit here. Roll, no, okay, a little bit there. No, a little bit there. It's the idea of this alone is where you put it all. 
Maybe the gambling one isn't a, a great example, but here's another one. John Trapp, he's a, he was, he's no longer alive, 17th century, to be clear. 17th century theologian, he said this, all right, hear this, it's a little bit 17th language. They trust not God at all, who trust him not alone. <laughs> so kind of a little double negative there, so hear that again. They trust not God at all, who trust him not alone. He goes on to say this, he that stands with one foot on a rock and another foot upon a quicksand will sink and perish as certainly as he that standeth with both feet on a quicksand. Does that make sense? No? Yes? So he's saying is this, you got to put it all right there on God. You can't say, oh, I'm going to put my one foot on the rock and one foot on the quicksand because it's just as if you had both feet on the quicksand. You're going to fall just the same. And so this, as we enter into understanding Psalm 62, what, what David is saying, the psalmist is saying, in all circumstances of life, he says, this is who I trust alone. Ah! <laughs> it's everything is on this, on God. And this tells why we can depend on God. Because he alone, he says, is where rest for the soul is found. You won't find that anywhere else but God, where your soul, where your heart will be content and at rest, at peace. It's only found in God. He says he alone is where our salvation comes from. I hope that you know and that You'll hear this as we preach the gospel in this place is that we say salvation is found, as in the book of Acts it says, in no other name. It's only in the name of Jesus that he is the only way of salvation for us to be saved. It's only found in Christ and what he did on the cross. He only is where we can run to for refuge. Life gets hard. Circumstances come our way. Storms spring up. Where's the place that you run to? He alone is our refuge. He says he truly is where our hope comes from. Nowhere else. Verse 9, it says he alone, talks about he alone is trustworthy. He alone is reliable. Can't put your put all your you know things in, in wealth or in people or your status. All those things crumble. He alone is trustworthy. Verse eleven. We can trust him. We can depend on him because it says he is powerful and loving. The psalmist says this: One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. Kind of like that expression. It's a little bit hard to understand. It's like, okay, one thing, but I heard two things. Basically, he's saying, this has been reiterated to me as I've walked with God. These are the things, the message he's continually told me. This is what I've heard, that he is powerful, he is strong, and that he is loving. God is dependable and trustworthy because he is both strong and loving, can you imagine if he was only one and not the other? If he was only strong and powerful, 
but not loving, he might destroy us. If he was only loving but not powerful, you know, we would experience this, this warm embrace, a hug even, but he couldn't actually save us. This is who our God is. And this is why we can depend on him. This is why we can call on him in prayer, because he is mighty to save and because he is steadfast in loving kindness and compassion for us. Coming out of this this value, this is our, our value statement when it comes to prayerful dependence. It says this, we depend on God for ourselves and others. Without him, we can do nothing. We express our dependency through prayer, trust, and spirit-filled living. Our lives center on him. Prayerful dependence. See, prayer is how we acknowledge our trust and our dependency in God. All right, why, ask ourselves, well, why, why don't I pray, or why don't I pray more? Well, I want to suggest a couple things, and these aren't uncommon, may or may not be your reasons if you look at it. And, and I also would say, you know, there's some of you I know have vibrant prayer lives, vibrant lives of, of dependency on God. But perhaps there's this question that comes, well, you know, why don't I pray or why don't I pray more? First one, common one is I don't have time. I don't have time. And listen, this is a, a question of what you truly value. You make time for what you truly value. You know, you have time to shower and to brush your teeth. At least you should. At least once a week. You know, you have time for, for sports or gardening or social media or TV or, or whatever you do. You have time for that. You make time for that because you enjoy it, you value it. It's important to you. I want to say just a, a quick word for parents here. Um, you know, parents, you have, you have kids, and, and it's a full life, full schedule. You know, we've been there. It's been a while. Um, but listen, this is, this is really important. In the fullness of your days, recognize this, that you are also teaching your kids what you depend on. You have an opportunity to model for them a life of prayer, a life of God dependence. You need God. (laughs) And you need to teach your kids that they need God. And so consider that in your day. And again, not to put a guilt on you on top of everything else, but, but how you live your life and how you model your values, guess what? Guess who's watching? Our kids, they will learn very quickly your values. Will God dependence be one of them? Secondly, you know, why I don't pray more is realizing or thinking, considering, you know, God is not really concerned about my life. God doesn't, how could God really care about my life? Well, my response to that is is this. I can only tell you what, what the scriptures say. And over and over and over again, the word of God describes God's love for us, the value that we have to the Father, 
It says that he knows the number of hairs on our head. It says that he knit us together in our mother's wombs. That he knows our needs. Luke 12, 6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God is concerned about your life. God knows and wants, you know, is concerned about the details of your life. Another reason we may not pray or pray enough or more is that God, we feel that God does not or is not going to do what I want. And maybe this is from past experience where you've prayed for something. God just didn't seem to answer the way that you wanted. And these are, that's hard. My response to that is, again, prayer is, is so much about surrendering our will. A little while ago, we were at a, a camp conference in Banff where Charles Price, who was here a couple years ago, spoke here, but he, he shared this at the conference. He said, you may have heard the old four spiritual laws where the first one, I think it is, is that it says that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he says, nope. <laughs> he has a wonderful plan. It just may not be wonderful for you. It might be very difficult. But his will is best. This weekend, Russ, at, at our men's retreat, he shared this. He said, our desire should not be that we should always be about discerning God's will for our life. This is always a say, I really am trying to discern God's will for my life. He says, it's wrong. It's a wrong question. Seek to discern God's will. And then adjust your life, align your life with his will. This is what we do when we pray. We surrender, we submit ourselves, we say, Lord, your will be done. Another reason maybe we don't pray, pray more or pray at all is that you say, you know, I'm strong enough, or I should be strong enough to handle this situation myself. Take it on yourself. And my response to that is, well, you're not. <laughs> We're not. We're not strong enough on our own. We depend on ourselves. We think we're smart enough, we're strong enough, we're wealthy enough, but Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says very clearly, this is what the Lord says, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's a human tendency. We want to do it on our own. We think we can do it on our own, but we realize very quickly that we can't. Or we just keep falling for that lie over and over and over again and says, yeah, we can do it on our own. But as we look at this in Psalm 62, we see there is going to be a time in our life where we're, we will surely come to a place where we're that leaning wall or that tottering fence. We need God. 
Last one I want to just suggest is, is maybe you just say, I, I just don't know how. I don't know how to pray. And very simply is this, is that prayer is not formulaic. It has to come from the heart. And I, you know, I appreciate when we have people that come up here and pray um, in front of the church, and that's a challenging thing to do. And some, some people pray very much from the heart. Some people write their thoughts down, and like Michelle did today, and that was beautiful, and it was intentional. It comes from the heart, whether you write it down or not, but it's not just about this prayer time. But when you're on your own before God, in conversation with him, you don't have to come up with fancy words and say all the right things. He listens to your heart. Good places to start if you want to say, I want to learn how to, to pray or just not express my heart to God. Start with the book of Psalms. It's a prayer book. It's a book of prayers pouring out the psalmist's heart to God. It should be part of your, your regular reading. Is, it should be the book of Psalms. Or take a look into the apostles' prayer in the, in the New Testament the letters and just the, the ways that, that Paul and Peter and John just pour out their, their love for the church, love for people, love for God, and express their heart in these incredible prayers. Use those as guidelines and pray those. Okay, lastly, just some prayer 101 things. So how do we, what do we do with prayer? How do we um, move in this value? What is it really about? First of all, this, prayer expresses my response to God's word. Now, this is a really important thing that perhaps I could encourage you in um, practically. We want to pray, and sometimes people say this. They say, well, my prayer life is, is good and it's strong, but I, I never really read God's word. Or some people say, I, I read God's word, but I, I just don't, I'm not diligent in prayer. And these are disciplines that we, we learn and grow in and slide in all, all of our life. But listen, Prayer really can come from a response to God's word, and this is what's called meditation. And it's not an Eastern meditation of emptying yourself. It's actually just allowing God, speaking or hearing the word of God, listening for the spirit to speak to you through his word, and then just pondering it, allowing it to soak in. This is why Psalm 1 I'll give you that as a challenge to read that this week. That's why Psalms starts out with Psalm 1. It talks about the two paths. This is one that is rooted, established by a stream of water. This is one that's fruitful, is the one that meditates on the word of God day and night. They're wrestling with it. They're thinking about it. They see, once they read God's word, this is who God is. And now what do I do with that? How do I respond to that? When you read God's word and it says, it pokes you and it's like the Holy Spirit, ugh, you wrestle with it and then out of that you respond to God in prayer. Let me say this, sometimes just a suggestion, but I see it in my own, in my own life is if my prayer life is void of Bible reading and study, you might be simply just praying your wishes rather than responding and submitting to God's rule in your life. God's word shapes our values, what you care about. And listen, you pray about what you care about. Okay, next prayer expresses the awareness of the presence of God in my life. It's a conversation with God, anytime, day or night. 
We've talked about this before in different series, but the guy, um, his name was Brother Lawrence. He was, a, again, a 17th century. I don't know what was going on in that century, but it's pretty good, I guess. Some things. <laughs> he was a, a Carmelite friar. And as he, he writes, he wrote all this down about how when he was cleaning pots or, or scrubbing dishes or peeling potatoes or whatever, he would consciously just say, thank you, God, that you're with me. God, you are present with me now throughout the day, any moment of the day. God, you're with me. You're present with me. That's what prayer does. It, it says, God, you are, you're present in my life. Third prayer expresses my need for God. We need help. I've said this before, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but we need help. We need wisdom. We need strength. Some of you that have, have businesses, some of you, you know, that have families, some of you have, you're looking at your future, your retirement, everything. You're, don't do that on your own. Call on God. Those of you that have children or teenagers, those that are, you're, you're in, in a place where, of life where you're deciding, okay, what is, what is my life going to be about? Who am I going to be with? All those things. Don't, don't do that on your own. We need his wisdom. And most of all, we need salvation, and it comes from him alone. We said this. Call on him when, when you face a storm. One of the things that prayer does is it, it humbles us, right? Because we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm needing help. And if you're like me, I need help a lot. Call on him. Prayer expresses our gratitude to God. This is always a great place to begin. If you, if you don't know what to say, just start thinking about the blessings in your life, even through some of the challenges. What things have you learned? What are you growing in? Where has God been faithful in your life? Start with gratitude. Conscious recognition of, of who God is, what he's done. Prayer expresses our concern for others. It's not just about us. It's about you. If a lot of times your prayers, if it's very focused on yourself, start to, to grow in that, look around and see who else in your life is in need, who else has burdens that you can also bring to the Lord. Okay. In the life of our church, how do we corporately express this value of prayerful God dependence? I want to share a few things and then we'll close. In case, as I said last week, if there's a bunch of you that are new, you don't maybe know. Okay, how do we express our, our God dependence? How do we experience prayer in the life of our church? We have a, an email that goes out to a bunch of people that are on it. If there's a, usually it's a kind of a, it's a prayer need that people want to share. Not everybody wants to share everything. That's completely fine. But if there's something going on in your life, as far as a surgery or something that's happened, and you want to bring it to the body to, to pray for you, that's, that's our prayer. We call it our prayer chain, and that's on there. If you want to be a part of that, you can uh, talk to Haley in the office uh, or talk to Bernice or Sharon about that. Uh, we meet every Sunday in here at 10 a.m., and we have pre-service prayer time. Anyone can come, and you don't have to pray out loud. Um, you can just sit in and be a part of it. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I think we should have more people that come to pray. And I know some of you bring kids, some of you have different things in your schedule, but you can come and pray and just be a part of before the service. And I bet you it would actually change your focus on coming into the worship service. Um, I won't say anything about I'm a punctual guy. I like to be, I know some of you have trouble keeping you know, your, your time, but, but I honestly, I, I'll put this as a little poke to you. You need to come to church earlier. 
Really, you do. Like if you come in late and you're, you're missing like the first song and you're scattering, you know, whatever. You know, it could have happened on your way here driving scary through the snow. But I'm just saying, come to church prepared to hear the Lord. Come to church, be ready to, to listen and to, to have your heart set in the right direction. And obviously that's just about church and you can have throughout the time of your week to experience that in your relationship with God. But just saying, as the corporate body, come early and come, if you can, come and pray. It's important. Uh, I can't talk about all these that much. Um, just we have uh, Sunday service. We have people that are involved in, in prayer. We have after service. We invite people to come to pray up near the cross, people to pray with you. It's not a counseling time. It's just here's a need in your life. And, uh, you know, we lift it to the Lord. Life groups, uh, all of our life groups make prayer uh, a priority. Our board of elders, when we meet every month, we have a, a meeting beforehand, we pray, we lift the needs of the body before we enter into our meeting. Uh, as elders, we're available to come to, to your home to pray for you. If you invite us to pray for, for healing or other issues in your life, we would do that. Uh, we have taken sort of the body that we have that we know they're regular tenders and kind of put you into connection kind of groups according to either your life group, a ministry area that you volunteer in, or part of our, our elders who look after you. So, you know, just to pray for you every month. That is our goal, is that every one of our regular attending people is prayed for, connected with every, every month. Um, we have uh, weekly staff prayer uh, where we, we meet on Tuesdays and we pray and we lift up any needs that come our way that you want us to, to pray for. Um, we have a prayer calendar that's been put together at the back. Um, you, you, know, you can receive that. It's also part of our weekly drive that you can get every day. You can be in prayer for something uh, part of our church. So that's not a conclusive list. You might have other ideas. We'd love to hear how can we make prayer a higher value in our church. Close with this. We desire this. This is important to us. To be a prayerful, God-dependent people. And so we invite you into that. Will you embrace this value with us and seek to live it? Let's pray.